What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 182 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Burbeck. I am your host and your music-loving guide, I guess, to this podcast. Um, as always, we're still in lockdown, still in boring life, but yeah, things are going well. I just want to kind of, as I always do recently, just say thank you to everyone who's been checking out the show recently. Like the last couple of weeks, I've really noticed a, a peak in, in new listeners and new people coming to the show. So welcome everyone who's new to the show and thank you for checking us out. Um, Just kind of, yeah, not a whole lot to report as always. Nothing overly exciting going on in terms of stuff I've been listening to this week. Uh, nothing majorly new. Oh, a band. I don't know if you, how you pronounce it. I'm just looking at my Spotify now. Silenus, I think. Uh, they got a new EP out. It's called "The Garden Is Burning." That's really cool. Um, yeah, just kind of been listening to repeat customers, I guess, in, in some aspect. Um, oh, though I did check out a band called uh, Brat, who I can't remember what. It stands for now, but they're like a queer punk band. Um, I'm just sorry, I'm just oh, be ready, be ready, attack them. That's what it's called. Uh, Malt, uh, from Baltimore punk band, definitely worth checking out their um debut album Destroy, which came out tail end of last year. Definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, that's kind of all I've got to kind of say. Uh, just for people who are aware of it, the charity sampler is pretty much all there now in terms of uh, submissions. We'll be making an announcement um, on either March 1st or March 2nd, depending on if we're... I'm trying to still sort out a track by track for next month, but the people who I initially planned to do it on have un been a unable to sort of get together unfortunately at the, at the time of recording this so it might still happen I don't know but if it doesn't we'll be making the the announcement who the charity will be on March 1st and then obviously that sample will be coming out on April 1st so keep an eye on that um so yeah that's all I've got to kind of say so uh we'll get into this week's guest and this week I'm joined by a guitarist of Darkest Hour and Be Well Mike Schleibaum um Mike was gracious enough to give me some time uh, during sort of one of the little interview runs that he's been doing recently. So this is the first time in a, in a while where I've kind of been restricted to time, which was a little frustrating because there was some things that I obviously wanted to chat to Mike about. But we get into some some cool aspects of Dark Stour, their kind of early days, um, how they were kind of didn't really have a scene to fit in and have kind of as the band's grown, have kind of found their foothold in sort of like the extreme metal world. Um, how obviously Mike came to to meet Brian of, of Be Well and obviously during his time in Battery, that was one of the aspects. So I wish I had a bit more time to talk to Mike and kind of about the Battery days, but it's one of those things. It's, it is how it is. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun chat. So please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Mike and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Inside podcast is guitarist of Darkest Hour and Be Well, Mike Schleiber. Mike, thank you very much for 
for joining me in your well you're in your wonderful jo- dojo it's very very impressive i've got to say but how are you i am good uh welcome listeners it is i mike schleibaum i believe this is audio right that it is it so is indeed you can't see my impressive dojo setup but just imagine <laughs> in your head walls of stacks yeah. um but obviously before we get into everything like Obviously, Darkest Hour has been a band that's been sort of prolific throughout the years, and everyone's obviously in a difficult position at the moment. But like, how have you been sort of keeping busy and sort of like keeping preoccupied during during these weird times? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm actually very fortunate. We're all very fortunate to be able to say that none of us are have gotten really sick or. Mm. Um, uh, some of us have lost family members, but not due to COVID. I mean, it's been a long time, but mm. people have been going through a lot, but we've been uh, healthy enough to be able to focus on still being able to do the band, whatever that means. Uh, but we had, before the pandemic, la- launched like a monthly subscription service, like a, a Patreon. Yeah. A uh, It was more of a vinyl focused thing where we were going to give away tour content and we were going to just kind of shift things over there and then the pandemic hit and then it kind of became our funnel to move people from the white noise of the internet which you know social media which is helpful given how fucking crazy shit is everywhere (laughs) you know so the patreon has been a really great place for darkest hour to focus our attention because while we are working on album 10 uh and have made a lot of progress on that um we are afraid to rush and complete it without trying to figure out how to work around things like us not always being able to be in a room together since we all live in different places on top of the pandemic so it has slowed us down but while it slowed us down it has actually given us time to experiment with the patreon deliver people exclusive records and videos and content build up a mailing list so in a lot of ways it's kind of good for the band that we haven't tried to launch into what's probably the next step, which is releasing new music uh, yeah. in the way that you release new music now in the middle of a pandemic or whatever, possibly on our own with no label, possibly licensed with the label, but doing special th- stuff on the Patreon. I mean, there's so many options. So we've just sort of focused our band's attention here on the Patreon and that reflected back at us, at us and was able to, uh fund a live stream concert which is something Mm. else we've done during the uh pandemic so i don't mean to talk forever but we've done a lot (laughs) i mean we've doubled into the subscription service and uh run two successful live stream concert experiences you know a stream and then a restream donated Mm. over uh seven thousand dollars to our favorite venue uh in dc and venues all across the world with it did a collaborative stream with misery signals that had all these bundles. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's been helpful to have the band to do, to have something to focus on since a lot of my other income, whatever that was producing or whatever is, is not around since the pandemic. Yeah. So uh, that's where we are, man. A little bit well, longer uh, of an answer, but. No, like no, said, it's cool. I appreciate it. It's nice. It's nice to know that you've been able to kind of keep sort of proactive and, find other sort of creative streams than rather just playing live and getting in a practice room sort of thing so it's cool to cool to see that side of things 
Yeah. And in some ways we needed to do it in some ways. I can't yeah. believe we weren't doing what we, we, we were doing now in some ways it's like a shock to the system in the best possible way to us because we had sort of been operating as a band that existed on 11 different record labels and put out, you know, a bunch of different music and mm. content that was basically controlled on the internet. Every time we tried to post or advertise or do anything, you know, and, uh, the pandemic really wiped the slate clean and we're sort of back to square one where we're straight up answering our fans emails. There's no manager. There's no person who works at shipping and receiving, you know what I mean? We just do everything right now, right out of the dojo. And it's yeah. <laughs> not that uncomfortable for us because we've been around a lot of stuff in here in DC. That's DIY music from the beginning of our band. And so uh, this is actually an, natural state for us you know what mm. I mean? so well if we kind of turn the focus back onto onto you and obviously how i kind of like to always start is to kind of get what your gateway into sort of alternative music was so what kind of first exposed you to alternative music what was your kind of footing into that avenue into work into that world well <clears throat> I don't know what you I don't know what you consider alternative music, but I can start from the beginning because the first thing that got me into music was guitar. Um, hmm. And I got into guitar and music at the same time. And that was through a thing called MTV, which yeah. I explained to people who don't know what MTV is. It was like, see, this, sorry to cut you off, but it baffles me that people don't know what MTV is. It's really strange. Are you kidding me? <laughs> There's a lot of people who don't know what MTV is. MTV know, was weird. a channel where it was basically like youtube but you couldn't pick what you were watching okay <laughs> yeah. so it was a channel yeah. and they played a bunch of bullshit and every once in a while there was a heavy metal show at, on the weekend that played every music video so my i didn't have mtv my parents were extremely religious they were against it but my buddies did and i was into ice hockey and i was hearing like heavy metal music and stuff at the rinks and i was asking what it was and one day we were at a friend's house and we were watching MTV and this ACDC video came on. It's in black and white. It's from live at Castle Donington. <clears throat> they just repurposed a live concert and put it out. It's a really strange video. I saw it recently again. I mean, I remember that moment, you know, and just being like, mm. holy shit. I went home. I told my parents, I want a guitar. Of course, they borrowed the acoustic guitar from my next door neighbor and I tried to learn happy birthday on it for three weeks and wanted to kill myself. <laughs> but it was, you know, ACDC was my beginning. And then as soon as I got into ACDC and guitar, you know, I got into guitar world. So it was like you had ACDC and you had Van Halen and I was like, oh, and I loved what you would consider rock, uh, hard rock, you know what I mean? Guitar driven mm. hard rock. Okay. Yeah. And then one day, and I'm trying to explain to people about MTV. The thing is, if you caught the beginning of the video, they put the little name of the band and the shit in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. But if you didn't catch that beginning of the video, you didn't see that. So you had to wait to the end. But a lot of times they'd put a bunch of bullshit at the end, like a commercial. So, like, it was possible to see a video and absolutely not know who the band was. Okay. I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to explain people because. We were, I was at a friend's house uh, on a weekend night and we knew there was this heavy metal show. I believe it was, it was aired on the heavy show. Anyway, they played this Pantera music video and, uh, and we, we heard it on the, in the outside of the room and we like ran in, but we missed the title. So we just saw the video and the video is mouth for war. Okay. 
and uh, it was sort of like our introduction to Pantera because we didn't know about Cowboys from Hell or anything like that. Mm. We were young, and 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 Pantera had just popped on to MTV's radar because they were going to be releasing Vulgar Display of Power, and they toured a lot, and they were going to be coming to Maryland. So like right. that was near where I lived in Virginia, outside of DC. So all of a sudden, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, any anyway, I'm backing up because we didn't know who Pantera was. We saw the video, we loved it. It was insane. It was like Van Halen, but riffs we liked. And so we went to school the next day, and we all tried to figure out what that band was. And then somebody had seen, and somebody knew what it was. I mean, that's how hard it was to sort of like <laughs> yeah. network and find stuff when you didn't have the internet. And things weren't in magazines fast, you know? So uh, basically, I got into Pantera. So it's like hard rock, hard rock, you know, classic rock. Then Pantera comes along and I get into heavy metal. And then mm. Metallica. And it's weird. It wasn't, you know, Metallica before Pantera, even though I had been to a Metallica concert um, mm. before I saw Pantera, I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't know how that timeline works out, but basically, <laughs> yeah. but basically like it was, I really got into Pantera before Metallica. Maybe I knew Metallica existed, but I didn't like him that much until I really got into heavy yeah. metal. Then it was the big four Slayer, Anthrax, you know what I mean? And then, mm. you know, Scorpions maybe. And then like all this guitar stuff thrown in there. Uh, I liked David Lee Roth and that was Steve Vai. And so it was all really based on guitar but I didn't really connect to any of that stuff. Okay. Really? Like I didn't connect a lot to what Pantera songs were about or like what their whole image was about or like their whole Southern thing. Like I couldn't, it wasn't, it was felt mine, but it didn't connect. And then I met these kids at school who were into hardcore. Yeah. And hardcore is like, you know, a whole other journey. I don't know if there's another question if you just want me to keep going, but basically, no, 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 you keep going. After heavy, after heavy metal, I got into hardcore. So my friends were like, Hey, man, uh, I don't know why you're trying to like start all these heavy metal bands. Like, we have a hardcore band and we play these shows at this music store at night when they close down. And so then these hardcore friends of mine were my first introduction to like a DIY show which is mm. what, what I really wanted to do was go on tour, play concerts. But like all my friends who liked heavy metal uh, were into drinking, to be honest, and like partying in high school. And they, get, they would get really fucked up and they'd get in trouble. Some of them were bullies. I'm not, uh, I'm not like uh, generalizing all heavy metal people. I'm just saying that the ones <laughs> yeah. that I grew up with, I didn't connect with because I was actually a hardcore kid and didn't know it. And then I met yeah. some guys that were into hardcore. Now what's hardcore? Well, it's very specific straight edge hardcore. So like these guys were into such a specific thing that was happening on the East coast um, that was budding, you know, this sort of vegan straight edge movement of the early nineties. And so through my buddies who were in this band called Frotus, I started going to DIY music store like shows and after mm. that, they started telling me that the real shows were in, in the city. So I went yeah. to my first well, was, real hardcore sorry, I was, show. I was just going to say, because like DC obviously was like one of the hotbeds for straight-edge hardcore. So like you're at the kind of epicenter for it sort of thing. Well, the birth of straight-edge hardcore was from DC, but the birth of the vegan straight-edge metal hardcore movement maybe is not from Washington, DC. But either mm. way, 
there was a strong scene there and uh i didn't know anything about it but my my friends and to mention be well here the singer of the band brian at the same time in the timeline he's already playing diy shows around town at clubs in the hardcore i mean forget about guns and roses forget about Van Halen. I mean, these people it was not even on their blip to be arena rock stars. They were just playing yeah. like these punk shows, which, you know, I'd never even seen a video of or a show. You know, it was like all MTV and heavy metal to me. So um, I got in, I went to my first actual real hardcore show, it was Undertow Unbroken. They were on tour from the West Coast. And this band, Damnation AD, played three songs. They changed my life because they were a local band that yeah. played heavy music but it wasn't like and i mean you know pantera metallica slayer i love all this shit but you know it was like groupies and in 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 heavy metal like culture and this was like totally different um everybody was talking about animal rights they were talking about environmentalism they were talking about social action and with like people at the shows like they were handing out these things called zines you know mm. which had like and it was just like total. I totally fell in love with it all, and I've realized that heavy music could be like it didn't have to be um, just the way that I had seen it portrayed on MTV or the way I'd even seen my, my newer heroes portray it. You know? Yeah. And so I like to like just pinpoint the road the road signs along the way and say like sort of starts with AC, ACDC and Van Halen. And then it moves to Pantera, Metallica, Slayer, you know, Anthrax, yeah. Death. And then it moves to a band called Earth Crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm literally gonna, that is the band, like they put out an album called Destroy the Machines and it was on Victory Records. And it was, I had heard of Firestorm, which I loved. It was on a seven inch, but we were like tra tape trading at that point. And this Earth Crisis came out, Destroy the Machines, and it's fucking sick. I still jam that thing, even though I'm yeah, not, man, I'm it's not a even fucking rad record. Straight edge. Uh, and I also fell in love with Battery, which was Brian's other band, and this band called Damnation AD, which featured the guitar player from Battery, and that was the band I had seen at this hardcore show. So now this was all very local. <clears throat> my my favorite bands went from being everybody's guitar hero to being my local heroes. Yeah, um, yeah. And so at that point, I knew that I could start a band and play, you know, and play with these bands. But then I started going like I had been a skate rat ahead of, like, mm. ahead of this. I had loved ice hockey. And so I was at the rink every weekend. That's how I met these friends who were into heavy metal. So I became like a show rat, you know, and I just would go to every concert that you could every flyer I would pick up, I would go to those shows. And so I got to see uh, Fugazi for free in the park at Fort Reno. They had the free concert series. It's legendary. You know, I went to all those ones yeah. when I was a kid. I should have watched, should have paid more attention, but I, I was just pissed <laughs> that they didn't sound like Pantera, you know? And uh, it was kind of around that time I got into hardcore that I got into touring and I had mentioned this band Frotus and they started going on tour all up and down the East coast. Now I wanted to tour. I wanted to get my band that I had created in high school, um, off the ground. The band was called Indivision 
and uh, mm. we were out of the ashes of this other band called WD40 that I had started. And nice. so I was like trying to figure out like, how do you go on tour? And I had these buddies that were in a band Frodis. And so they were like, Hey, come on tour, be our merch guy drive. And you can kind of like, see how it goes. So I went on tour as the merch guy driving, selling merch, going to these shows that uh, the drummer Jason had booked. Like I used to go over to his house and he'd just like pick up the phone and call random people and get shows and, that's how hardcore works. Like he had this book called book your own fucking like with yeah, yeah. phone numbers in it. And he would just call it up and be like, Hey, Jason, you know, can I send you a tape? And, uh, he booked a whole tour. We went on that thing. We drove up and down the East coast in a van playing shows every night, sleeping in people's houses that we met at the show. It was like, this is what I want to do with my life period. Mm. You know? And as we were driving up and down all that stuff, I remember I was introduced to uh, a lot more extreme metal. Yeah. Because we started going to every record store in every town and buying whatever. And uh, I'm wearing a Carcass shirt right now. I remember I got a Carcass record and I remember I got some In Flames records and I was like, well, these were hard to get. They were stuck in the back of a lot of weird record stores in the metal, black metal section. Um, so the In Flames record was Horacle. And uh, the thing is for me, uh, so my uh, introduction to like Swedish heavy metal, like In Flames at the Gates, Dark Tranquility, Soil Work, The Haunted. I mean, obviously they were later in the game, but th th those are like my more major Swedish influences, you know, mm. and also Entombed, can't leave them out, um, the Northern Swedish bands. And so how I got into all, of, a lot of that stuff, <clears throat> even some of the black metal that we liked, um, we really got into it from these like DIY record stores that were stocking the stuff and importing it. And so fell in love with Swedish heavy metal and I started my band you know, darkest yeah. hour after that tour, I like found it. I was like, Oh, this is sick. Right. But, <laughs> but we were still like kind of copying what damnation was doing and what earth crisis was doing and what Snapcase was doing. And we, what we were seeing our heroes do that were in these clubs that we were going to. Yeah. And then one day we got slaughter of the soul by at the gates. Mm. <laughs> Now I know that Terminal Spirit Disease existed, all the other albums existed, but this album was for the first one that was like sort of on everyone's radar, and mm. uh, they did a tour with Napalm Death, I believe, and we didn't go. We played a show that day with 108 and uh, Floor Punch and Ensign. Like, you know what I mean? To give you an idea of where our heads were at. Yeah, but yeah. We love this record, but it, the, the band was playing at the at the gates and Napalm Death was playing at the shitty heavy metal club that we were banned from because they would make the local band sell tickets. And we could draw right, we okay. could draw more than any of those bands that sold tickets. But we were making money playing in parking lots with generators. And we we're like, fuck this club. They shouldn't make you pay to sell all the tickets. They should be paying you. And so we were we were we were really shut out from a lot of this heavy metal but mm. around the time that darkest hour put out mark of the judas in flames put out um it's not colony it's uh and oh jester race no jester race oracle colony what's the fucking other one man 
<laughs> hold on, I gotta look. Just hold up because uh, you're gonna maybe you're gonna have to edit this or not. But I swear to God, I gotta figure out this because this is major in my timeline. But basically, uh, oh, <laughs> basically, Darkest Hour and uh, In Flames were really on a really collision course with what we were doing and what they were doing. Um, oh, Clayman. That's what it was. Yeah. Clayman and then Colony. Okay. So basically, Darkest Hour was on a collision course with In Flames because we were going to put out Mark of the Judas, like our first real fucking record. Now, I skipped mm. out over a lot of the story, but the story is really long, right? So <laughs> I've gotten into, you know, got into hard rock, heavy metal, hardcore punk rock, then extreme death metal, started my band, and then I put out my first full-length record, and yeah. the, the label went under. But a week later, In Flames put out Clayman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so our lives were changed because we loved Slaughter of the Soul, but then it, Clayman, it was like, fuck, this is a genre now. We have, we can say, you know, this is not just one band we like, this is a bunch of bands, you know, and it was getting easier to find these bands. And In Flames did a tour, uh, they put out Colony Next, and that was like also really fast and really good. And then they did a tour with Earth Crisis. Boom. Mm. The worlds <laughs> collide and a scene is born, in my opinion, and a scene is born called Metalcore right then, yeah. really. Now, metal and hardcore were blended dead guy sheer terror converge i mean shit people were doing it before but i'm talking about the genre of this the swedish american hybrid was born at the moment that in flames and and uh and earth crisis went on tour because everyone else was infected the way same way we were you know yeah and so for me my story kind of continues in a strange way because now i was into extreme heavy metal but i was into the game i was touring uh I was befriending some of these bands. Like, you know, we went on toward Destruction, Dying Fetus, Enslaved. And then uh, we were around a lot of other bands, like The Crown, another band from Sweden we wouldn't have ever really known about, but we took them on their first tour here. Amana Marth toured them on some of their earlier stuff. Children of Bodom played with them on their first time in America. So we were like falling in love with heavy metal as it was, you know, in, I don't want to say metalcore, but Lamb of God, we played with them when they were instrumental for a piece or whatever. And then when they were Burn the Priest and Mac mm. Rock and Harrisonburg, Virginia, you know, all these bands that were coming up, we were fans of them, but we were into metal in a way that like we were immersed. So for me, my uh, tastes really broadened because we started going on tour and we started doing something that's really strange. But instead of going to record stores, like the way that Frodis and the earlier bands did, Darkest Hour really got into going to thrift stores because, okay. because, uh, in, you know, in America, thrift stores have records and tapes and shit for nothing. Yeah, yeah. And record stores would gouge you like they'd resell shit, whatever. And we were in a van and we were driving all the time so we would go and we would buy people's old mixtapes oh okay now, cool. i know that sounds fucking weird but we would just no, go no, no, cool, and buy man. all of the ones that said maxell and written on them and through those mixtapes i'm not gonna shit you not i discovered that uh 
there are other Black Sabbath albums other than the first four. That uh, <laughs> there are some really good Huey Lewis and the News songs. Okay, and also Leonard Skinner. Like I had never, I would never would have given Leonard Skinner the light of day because of like all the like imagery that they use, their whole Southern nationalist shit just always bugged me since I was a kid. But, but like, give me three steps is a sick song. And I gave it a chance because I got a cassette that it was just on. And I just heard, you know, foreigner. Oh my God. Never heard foreigner in my life. I know that sounds weird, but I wasn't around the radio. They weren't on MTV. Like, so I got into a lot of classical, like, heavy metal and weird 80s rock and other stuff as we went around and we <clears throat> the cure fell in love with them around the same time typo mm. negative uh and a lot of that had to do with the other guys in darkest hour too some of the stuff they were feeding um and you know at that point the internet i think is invented or ipods are invented probably who knows? yeah somebody will invent one of somebody will do fact check me on that but like we would take two other ways I got into music sort of after I became like oh, ultimately aware of, you know, uh, heavy metal and rock. I mean, I also fell in love with hip hop a little bit on the way. Like I was, mm. a, kid, I was a kid when NWA was the scariest thing, scarier than any black metal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember uh, hearing a story that Ryan from Be Well talks about how like they would go to this record store and this dude would play all the extreme stuff. But one yeah. day he said, hey, you guys want to hear something? But we got to go to my car to listen to it because we can't even listen to it in here. And they were like, what's fucking hell? I remember, I remember that he, he was talking about, um, I think 100 Miles and Running or uh, one of the earlier NWA records. And I remember that getting that record uh, one of the earlier NWA tapes playing it. And like, that was one of the few things my dad like came downstairs and freaked the fuck out about. Yeah. Like yeah. hip hop was terrifying in the nineties when you got into it, you know, later we were, we were honored to tour with ice T and body count. But I remember getting into body count when they were on headbangers ball and it was yeah, scary, yeah. you know, because black culture was scary to a lot of people who grew up in the suburbs where I was at. And, you know, mm. we were taught to be that way a little bit, but I was also uh, intrigued by it because I lived in Washington, DC that has a, doesn't have a big hip hop scene. We have a big go-go scene, but it has a, a lot of people that like hip hop. So it wasn't, yeah. it was something you would see going to hardcore shows. In fact, like KRS-One, um, earlier, like earlier, uh, DC hip hop shows would coincide with like hardcore shows in a way that sometimes they would share the same venues. Uh, yeah, Zulu yeah. Nation would do hip hop parties like after um, hardcore shows and it just sort of things blended. So you did get into a lot of like hip hop and other stuff that you wouldn't have gotten into having been around that stuff in DC, but uh, mixtapes and sort of, word of mouth became my new way of finding music until like mm. i said the internet but before the internet there was a <clears throat> the last thing i'll punctuate the story with because basically <laughs> before algorithms started getting me into music the last thing that got me into music was ipod swapping yeah we would go on tour and everybody would have an ipod and there were all these programs where you could like uh rip 
music and trade them. And I get that that's basically stealing music, uh, you yeah. know, and or it is stealing music, but we thought more of it as tape trading. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, We would yeah. spend hours meticulously organizing our iTunes collections. And uh, that's how I got into every Queen record, every Phil Collins record. You know what I mean? Like every Genesis record, like albums I never would have got every Kansas record, every Boston record, you know? because now we had access to people collecting and trading and yeah, yeah, recording. Yeah. And so that really helped me get into a lot of deeper cuts of some, some, you know, different Sabbath albums you probably would never have heard about on the radio and weren't being marketed. So in some ways it had the same effect of tra tape trading. And then as people got into sharing music on the internet and social media was born, I'm like everybody else. Now <laughs> I hear about Gojiro when you guys do, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. That's like the sort of sketch in my brain of. No, that's cool. Time I, and I appreciate it. If there's anything, um, you know. In terms of like the Darkest Hour, obviously, like it kind of makes sense you saying, obviously, you guys kind of starting off in that kind of hardcore world, but have obviously progressed to sort of where we see you today. But I just kind of want to take a, a certain moment in time because I was introduced to you guys through. Um, Hidden Hands of the Sadist Nation. That was my first kind of input to you 2004? guys. Yeah. So, like, and obviously listening to that, like, there's still kind of, like, the, the better, lack of a better term, like, the metalcore sound, like, the hard, you can take hardcore elements and metal elements. And to where we are now, it's almost like you're kind of, like, with gospel, it's kind of like you felt like you're revisiting that. So with... Have you have you seen like a kind of a circular motion with the band in terms of how your sound has progressed? Well, I think one thing that's unique about Darkest Hour is think about the fact that you have a band that's 25 years old, mm. put out its first debut album in 2000, 1999, 2000 slash, right? And recently put out a live record via the patreon of songs from that era and <laughs> yeah. songs from right now all played with the same style with the same production in a way where they mashed together in a sense that they all could exist on a record together mm. that in the first thing is is, is pretty unique okay because even if you take sabbath songs even if you take metallica songs even if you take slayer songs once you start sandwiching them together they're pretty different yeah but darkest hour songs even though we have an album or two that's more melodic than the others like once you start jumbling it all up it all really makes sense and we started in an era where no one thought we made any sense like yeah. i don't understand why is there double bass the whole song why is he screaming the whole song why does he scream like that like i like the music but i don't know about the vocals why are there no <laughs> guitar solos why does every song have to have a guitar solo? You know, the, all of these things that people questioned and hated on in the beginning. Why does the band have short hair? Why, why does the <laughs> band look like a bunch of nerds? Why does the band make funny shit? Uh, funny, why is the band funny, but the music's heavy? You know, I mean, all of this stuff like was, was pretty unique and jumbled up in there. Yeah. And I think the thing is that all of those things are totally normal now. So yeah, when people course. told us that we were we were crazy, the real truth were we were just like 
so fucking far ahead of the curve. Mm. So I think uh, for Darkest Hour, it doesn't feel as much circular as it does. It's always felt linear in a sense that we've always felt that we've been where we're at and everyone's trying to keep, keep up, you know, because mm. you can take some of the heaviest Darkest Hour songs and play them on the radio now next to some of the stuff that they play. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, you listen to Avenge Sevenfold get played with all this guitar shredding stuff, and it's like there's darkest hour songs that aren't that far, you know. And now, since radio copies internet radio, and internet radio matters even more, maybe it doesn't even matter. So uh, <laughs> I think that the sound has progressed and it has changed and it has evolved definitely for the band to be able to survive and keep interest and also gain new interest from people as we lose people and people age out of it, which happens. Um, also, it's kept its, you know, pretty basic core. And I think mm. that's those two things together allow it to have a strong uh, discography that exists over two decades. And I think that, not to hammer that home, but I think when you get to that point, you can, uh, you know, you can wear it as a badge of honor because anyone out there has tried to do a band for maybe more than one decade they can understand how real really hard it is to not only keep it together but continue to try to write music that is good enough to even be compared to music that people already like yeah know? yeah because continuing to create music after hidden sand is the safest nation was hard as fuck okay <laughs> everybody told us it was awesome we had just done Ozfest, you know and we made undoing ruin which after we did that everybody said that was the best you know what i mean like so you just kind of have to always as an artist view yourself as linear you know yeah because uh to feel like you're going in circles might feel like madness <laughs> that's fair enough but i think it's interesting that you kind of say because i remember like when i first heard hidden hands like it was, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And like, because I was a big sort of like hardcore fan, but also like it was that era of kind of like the scene sort of emo phase. So when I heard you guys, it was like completely out of left field because it was this like these ripping guitars and these gnarly vocals. So it brought like the hardcore element that I really liked, but just like that bit more gritty. And as you say, like you've kind of stuck to your guns throughout your career so do you think that's why you are still a band 20 years on you're still producing music of the highest quality well i think that that there's a kind of a basic love for doing this that exists that is a constant string that probably is the reason why all all of that exists you know why why we're still doing music and why we still love it but uh sadist it, with that album, it's interesting because we also toured, we took a left field with the culture we were around, you know? Mm. And it you got to try to drive it home to people because things were not as homogenous as they are now. Like, they were very separated. And we brought, like, an element of heavy metal to the fact that we would tour with bands like Cursive. You know, we did yeah. a Plea for Peace tour or we did a whole bunch of touring with anti-flag all over the world, you know? Like we would get out of our comfort zone and tour with bands solely because we had like more of a, and you know, you, you know, you 
called an emo, but we played with like Fairweather. We would tour with them all the time thrice. You know mm. what I mean? Like when in these bands, when they were coming up and they were a lot more melodic, we were a lot more extreme, but it was about the culture. Like we almost fit in more. like back then we, we fit in way more at a thrice concert. And now I do think that darkest hour fits in like, like the way it is in general. I think we fit way more at a napalm death concert, but the yeah. thing is we're happy. It, we love playing with, you know, not, not to pigeonhole thrice, but we love playing that culture that I don't want to say warp tour culture, but the alternative heavy metal culture, metalcore culture of the early nineties, two thousands, you know, that's home. That is home to us. You know, as much as we, have toured with every metal or death metal band that almost exists at this point. Now that we're 25 years old, like, mm. you know, we know where uh, a lot of our fans are and a lot of people that like what we do, we can see what people listen to uh, besides us on Spotify and yeah. on YouTube. You can, you can see, you know, and so uh, it's cool. You know, we're honored to have a little place to have put out all these records and hopefully in the end, you know, be remembered, which I think is kind of the goal of any person who's, who's, I don't know, maybe that's not the goal of any person who's making <laughs> art, but I think that's maybe the goal of us. Yeah. And obviously as the band's grown, like, I think it's interesting because as you say, when you were kind of getting into music, you grew like what sort of like pulled you in and gravitated was those small sort of DIY shows but obviously the way that the music industry works, like as you get more popular, you obviously play bigger venues, you play bigger festivals and you guys have played big festivals and venues all over the world. So is it strange like for you personally thinking like, oh, I started in this tiny like parking lot or whatever to now playing in front of thousands of people? Oh no, I think if you, the, you know, take note if you are a musician, <laughs> You are always one step away from playing into a par in a parking lot to nobody or playing in an arena. Like it's all illusion. So as a, <laughs> as an artist, you need to arm your soul for that situation. So yeah. like Be Well will go play in a shed, but Dark Star will also go play at by the dumpster outside the venue after it's closed down. I mean, you know, uh, there is a level uh, desperation I'm not willing to reach now that I'm 43 that maybe I would have at 20 <laughs> but there is a certain element of like gutter style that you need to kind of keep within your soul if you're going to try to survive as an artist the entire time so um, you know I'm, I'm happy to know that I can exist in either place because mm. as you start touring the world you start learning like yes a sick ass small packed club show where people write up on you, mosh and go crazy. That's amazing. Of course, that's better than the cold, sterile environment of an arena concert where people are just eating pizza and doing whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, and I hear people bag on arenas and big shows and festivals because they don't have the same intimacy as small clubs, which I agree on. But there is an art to rocking an entire concert. There's mm. an art to rocking a big mass group of people together and bringing their mentality together to have them enjoy a show like that we've seen machine head do like quite frankly yeah. we did two world tours with machine head and they can they showed us that you can have a really intimate big awesome experience that feels in a lot of ways the same uh, vibe as a really packed show 
So mm. I think it, there's an art to both, you know? And I think, yeah. like I said, you have to be armed to be able to play both. You have to try to enjoy both. And your feelings about your art, your band, your music, your performance, they really shouldn't be contingent on like what's happening as far as the reaction. As for, mm. if, if you're really doing it from a place of like, this is what you want to be doing. You know, yeah. I mean, yes, I want to be making people happy, but I'm, I'm also creating art. And if you don't like it, like, well, okay. you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to touch on Be Well, but one more thing I did want to talk to you about, and I'm by no means uh, an equipment guitar nerd whatsoever. I can't play an instrument at all, but obviously you recently had your first signature guitar and I just kind of wanted to get your kind of views on that because obviously being someone that's been obsessed with guitar for such a long time, how was it to kind of like go through that process and, and have something that was like your baby and your creation? Well, uh, I've had the honor of playing every guitar shape that exists. I can say that. I mean, sure. There's probably some weird ass <laughs> shit that exists, but I, that I haven't like touched, but every major produced shape, I have tried them all been around the block fell in love with single cutaway guitars. You'll find a lot of pictures of me playing those style guitars. But um, my first heavy metal guitar was a flying V, an mm. offset V, you know? And um, over the years, I've been sponsored by several guitar companies, Washburn, Jackson. Uh, but we gravitated to ESP, uh, first of all, because they make the guitars of the Kings, you know, Metallica, <laughs> yeah. but also because they make the best heavy metal like really high responsive action based guitars for shredders man they really do mm. and they they make shit for jazz and rock don't get me wrong it's just a guitar it's just a paintbrush but um they do love heavy metal and they support young artists okay they're not like these older companies that are like oh yeah we want it to look like a cadillac you know <laughs> whatever they have their vintage artists that sell their units and that's it no esp like they really helped us they nurtured us they gave us lots of different guitars to try and play over the years and like i said i would play the single cutaway eclipse guitar they had then when i got into the floyds the more i started using that but then they came out with the arrow and mm. i was immediately intrigued because it was an offset v but there were some things that were really different you know the way that the V sat on me the way I could uh, stabilize it, the way I could shred on it. It had 24 frets with almost all the other guitars that were single cutaways didn't. So then I fell in love with this specific design. And after I played it on tour for so long that every picture of this guitar that existed online live was basically me, <laughs> you know, like yeah, played yeah. It that much. And I had ripped this guitar apart and changed it in so many ways, moved a knob and taken some electronics out. That by when they when they made me my custom guitar, like they were like, hey, we're, we'll make you one the way you want it. Finally, you, yeah. you've been here a long time. Uh, it came out so good that everybody started being like, wow, th this would be something people would want. Well, then I went and toured all around the world and played that for a long time. And then it, there just started to be a demand. They made the guitar. And I'm happy to say it's 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 beautiful. I mean, it was an honor to work with DSP because they helped me every step of the way to make sure I made the right decisions with the guitar mm. and we they helped market it and now although we are in a global pandemic 
uh, guitar sales are still happening. So if yeah. you, if you're in the market for a sick ass heavy metal guitar to do some riffing <laughs> on, man, this is I'm in love with it, and I spend a few hours every day practicing and playing on mine. I have a lot of guitars here, but you know, I love this one, dude. So yeah, and uh, check it out on ESP's website, people. You can pre-order yeah. it right now. Ships in March, and then it's out there in the world after that. Cool. Um, as I said, I do want to quickly touch upon Be Well before I let you go. So obviously, for people that like don't know your kind of background and your and your history, and would just know you as kind of like Darkest Hours guitarist, the switch to Be Well is quite an odd one because obviously, like musically, they're very different. But obviously, you've been friends with Brian for years, and so on and so forth. So for you to to join Be Well, was it just a different creative avenue for you and a different sort of muscle to flex. Yeah, well, I didn't, I just want to say I didn't join Be Well. We made Be Well together. Okay. And um, no, I, I've been really surprised at the amount of like cross pollination between Darkest Hour and Be Well. Oh, fans. that's cool. Like, they get it. Now, I get that it's not melodic death metal, but there are similarities like the tonality of the, the lyrics uh, sometimes and uh the feel of the breakdown sometimes and the vibe of some of the guitar but not hmm. you know in a heavy metal way but in the way that darkest hour might be punk but the thing is three of our albums were produced by brian mcturnan who is the lead yeah. singer of be well uh, our friendship was born during the first album he produced it was solidified during the second album he produced but i also played in battery which yeah. was my favorite straight edge hardcore band like the locally band I mentioned earlier, who I then was able to join and help tour the world with in the nineties, which showed me again, along with Frodis, you know, how to do stuff. Mm. And uh, so I've always been a fan of hardcore punk rock. I played in battery and, and I've always been a champion of Brian and his songwriting. And I've been encouraging him to get out of the producer seat and get out there and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and be a songwriter and start a band. And so eventually we started a band and it's been really healthy for Darkest Hour. It hasn't been a thing that's like confused people or anything. It totally makes sense. I encourage anyone who loves Darkest Hour to check it out uh, because Be Well brings a lot of people who maybe haven't checked out Darkest Hour to checking us out or a lot of people who remember us and remember like, oh, I like Propagandi and Darkest Hour. I forgot because yeah. Darkest Hour got like real heavy metal for a minute. And, uh, you know, I forgot about that. But now I'm going to go check them out. So they, <laughs> the bands work in synergy. You know, uh, when I when I, when Battery went on tour recently, we did a reunion tour with H2O. We went mm. all around Europe and there was all these hardcore Darkest Hour fans who were at the shows who like Battery, who like hardcore, who get it. So, um. I, the weight and the cost is out on Equal Vision and End Hits Records. Everybody yeah. go check it out. Be Well has another album coming very soon. We're going to oh, be coming awesome. on tour. We've got a bunch of tours planned. So does Darkest Hour. But um, we're just sort of like flip-flopping them and dominoing them until the pandemic allows for them to be safe. But mm. uh, both bands are going to be out there playing live music as soon as we can. You know, my family's very supportive and happy that I'm here. We've had a lot of fun time, but they are ready because for me to get the fuck out of here and get on the road because they know that's what i do that's what i was born to do is put on concerts so we're ready you know yeah that's cool and just in terms of like the weight and the cost like 
in comparison to musically the darkest hour it's a lot more kind of lighter and upbeat and obviously but where it came out last year and obviously everyone had such a hard year i think a lot of people related to it and, and wanted that kind of warmth that that record bought so did you feel find that response that that's what people were reacting to i just want to make sure i heard correctly that you said that be well was light well, in in comparison to, I'm saying he's singing about like crazy ass mental health shit, man. That ain't light. That's crazy. I'm saying <laughs> lyrically, maybe or uh, sonically, maybe it's more joyful sounding. Yeah, is what you're. That's what at. I'm getting at. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I forget where I was at because I was giving you a hard time. <laughs> um, uh, what was the question again? Just like whether the the response of that, like having musically that lighter approach did people kind of like gravitate towards it because of the oh, hard time oh, everyone was having I, last I, year i definitely think the lyrics really connected to a lot of people who were you know elder rockers hardcore people people who love music who who love maybe older hardcore uh and and maybe uh music hasn't spoke to them in a long time and i think brian mm. has a way of writing lyrics that speaks to people in the back of the room in the corner you know and yeah. I always loved that about him. You know, I never felt like one of those people, but I always had an extreme amount of empathy. And I always liked that his lyrics were empathetic. And I think it uh, it spreads in the same way other things spreads. And I think that's what's magic about the band and what draws people in. And I think if you like emotionally charged, meaningful punk or hardcore music, then Be Well, you know, has something for you. You know, if you're mm. alive in 2021 and you're just trying to live every day inside your head and inside this fucked up world, then, you know, there's a song that might resonate with you. And and the thing is, once there's a song, then you realize you're not alone and then you have a soundtrack for your day and then maybe you get through it a little bit better, you know, and that's mm. what music does for me, you know, yeah. All the albums I listen to all goddamn day long, I don't have any silence, you know, because... <laughs> yeah, I'm very much the same. Perfect. Mike, before I let you go, how I like to, to end this is to ask my guests um, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. And we'll go with One Darkest Hour, One Be Well. So what's your favourite Darkest Hour song and what's your favourite Be Well song that you like to play live and why? Man, God damn it, that's hard. All right, I'm just gonna. My <laughs> darkest hour song changes all the time, but right now I like the song Tunguska. It's not my favorite yeah. darkest hour song. I can't pick one, dude. But I like that one live because it surprises people that we're gonna do it. It's yeah. super long and intricate and shit, and we do the whole thing. So you guys get the whole thing, and we never used to do the song. So I like that vibe. I like pulling out that song. People don't think you're going to pull out and give them the whole thing and just letting them know you appreciate them listening to the whole record, the middle part, yeah. not just the beginning and the end, you know? And then my favorite Be Well song is the song Magic, okay? It's yeah. uh, it's more of a, a head banger, more a mid-tempo jammer. I also love Strength for Breath, man. Every uh, Those songs are so awesome because as they came together, I, I, I got to see it happen and become a fan before a lot of other people, you know? And... Mm. Uh, there's a lot of the new songs that we have that people haven't heard that are really good too. That might fall in the category of my favorite be well stuff because each one is different. You know, I think, yeah. Um, but so magic, it's, it's magic. Perfect. Mike, thank you very much for your time. And yeah, hopefully we see you over here in the UK. A Hell lot sooner yeah. Rather than later. I, I, where are you at? 
Uh, so I'm based in Portsmouth, which is like the South Coast. Okay, because we were looking at Manchester and London. Well, yeah, London's nearest one for me. All right, so. well, we're looking at that for uh, March of 2022, people. There we go. Until it's canceled yeah. and moved to 2023, <laughs> that's when it is. And if not, then we're going to be there like, we told you so. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be like, ah, we didn't tell you we were going to be here. So. <laughs> Perfect. All right, well, man, thank well, you very cheers. much for your time. Hey, thank Cheers you to- for taking time to cover the band and spread word about our Patreon and the shit we're doing. I do, you know, we've rambled for too, mo- too long, so I will let you go. But cheers. No, my pleasure, my friend. Take care. All right, later. Party. Cheers. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thanks to Mike for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, as always, you can... F- Keep up to date with everything that Darkest Hour and Be Well are doing on all their various social media platforms, which will be linked in the episode description. Um, there will also be a link to Darkest Hour's Patreon, because as Mike mentioned, that's kind of where they're sort of doing a lot of stuff at the moment, because obviously they can't go out and tour during a pandemic. So we'll put a link to that for people who are interested as well. Um, yeah, not a whole lot more for me to say on this week. Just as, yeah, as I said, charity sample of news coming next week, so keep an eye out for that. But as always, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 182nd time, your support is very much appreciated. So if you could give us a review, subscribe, like us on all uh, podcast platforms you're listening to us on. We're kind of seeing a spike on social media as well. So if you want to give us a follow, we're at just underscore and underscore insight on both Instagram and Twitter. So do the like, follow button stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that is it for another week. Thank you for joining me on the Justin Inside podcast, and I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.